Pastor. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of John, John chapter 8. We'll be there shortly. Several months ago, I had the opportunity to preach in the morning service, and we began a, or we were continued a bit of a series on identities, a study of Christian identities, of who we are because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We talked about this statement made by an author, Jeff Vanderstelt, that says, we are a family of missionary servants. We are a family of missionary servants. And we talked a little bit about identity and why identity matters, the significance of our identity, meaning who you are matters. Uh, you behave based on what you believe about yourself, uh, about your situation, about who you were made to be. Therefore, you must know the truth about who you are, uh, about who God made you to be, and then, then you live out of that identity. That's how the Christian life is to be lived. If we don't know who we are, then we won't know what we are to be doing or how we are to be living. So for the Christian, a part of their identity here in this statement we find is that we are family. Uh, we are family means that we have received, that is, that we have believed in Jesus as Savior and have become a child of God. Therefore, we are not born into God's family, nor are we a part of it by blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. That's what John says in John 1. We become family only of God. That's how you become part of the family. So understanding who the family of God is, how we become family, is absolutely necessary in order to know if you are family. Secondly, um, we are missionaries. Uh, being a missionary means that we are sent on mission by Jesus as witnesses and ambassadors with a message of reconciliation in order to make disciples of all nations to the ends of the earth for the joy, for our joy, and for the good of others, for the glory and renown of our God and King. We found that, that, that you are a missionary. I'm a missionary. We, we are all missionaries. Part of the identity of a, of a Christian is that you are a missionary. Sometimes we think of missionary in a vocational sense or a, a sense of those people who leave and go to a quote-unquote mission field. We understand the designation there, but, but don't let that somehow absolve you and I from the fact that you and I are, in fact, called. Called to be missionaries. Called um, by God, sent to a place. Wherever you live, that's the place with a message, a message of reconciliation in order to make disciples of all nations. Thirdly, we found that we are servants. Being a servant means following Jesus' example by humbling ourselves, thinking of ourselves, thinking of others more highly than yourself, loving others as yourself without condition, and by giving at your own expense, denying yourself, and laying down your life. We looked at those three identities, and, and those three by themselves are, are, are pretty robust. They're pretty uh, significant to a, to a Christian's identity. If we were to understand those three fully, uh, we might be in a, a really good place. But that's not the only identities, and we're not even talking about all of the identities of, of a Christian necessarily. But, but the quotation that we use actually goes on. It says that we are a, a, a family of missionary servants 
who make disciples who make disciples. We find out that one of the identities of a Christian is that they are a disciple. A, a disciple is a, is a learner, is a follower, a, a student, an apprentice. So we could say it this way, that, that a disciple means knowing Jesus, following Jesus by obeying his commands by grace, loving others as we have been loved, and bringing others to him. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, uh, we want to understand better what your word teaches us. And so as we sang earlier as a prayer that you would speak, Lord, I'm praying that uh, this morning you would speak through your word to us. That's how you speak. And so we pray that you would do that. As we look into your word, may the Spirit of God open our eyes. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us this morning. Well, thank you for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Being a disciple means um, that we know Jesus. It means knowing Jesus. Well, what does knowing Jesus mean? Well, first it means believing in him. If you have your Bible, John chapter 8, look at verse 31 with me. John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The first thing we find about knowing Jesus is that, that we, we must believe in Jesus. When Jesus speaks to these Jews, these are Jews who had believed, who had placed their faith in Jesus for who he says he was. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So this believing has accompanied with it the idea of abiding. So this belief is later what we see elsewhere in, in the scriptures of Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In order to be a disciple, you must know God. You must know Jesus. How can you know Jesus? You know Jesus by grace through faith, by believing by believing on him, by abiding with him. John goes on in his gospel in chapter 15, if you'd like to read more about abiding, what abiding looks like in the first part of that chapter, he spends ample time on what it means to abide in Christ. So knowing God means believing in him, believing who he is. Earlier in the book of John, uh, we see Jesus calling his disciples— and there's a section there where Jesus is, is um, going to these men, and he's calling them by name, and he's telling them to, to, to come and to follow him. And in chapter 1, we see that as they are confronted by Jesus, we see that they recognize who Jesus is. And in verse 29, they recognize him as the Lamb of God. In, 20, excuse me, in verse 41, they call him Messiah. In verses 34 and 49, they call him the Son of God. In verse 49, they also call him the King of Israel. And in 51, the Son of Man. These disciples, though not in full, had an understanding of who Jesus was. They, they, they knew who he was and what he was going to do. They had known the prophecies, and Jesus was here to fulfill those things. So knowing Jesus means that we believe in him, but it also means that we love him. 
Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command in all of the scriptures? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Like, to love God. That is the, the, the first and the greatest command. Loving him uh, involves enjoying him. Right? It, it involves delighting in him. Finding your joy in him. This morning, I wonder if you were to ask yourself, you might call yourself a disciple here this morning, the questions are these, though. Do you know Jesus? Do you believe in him? Are you abiding in him? Do you love him? Now, at first, we probably will all want to say yes to that. There's evidence of love. But when we love someone, that, that, is, that is someone in whom we take great delight and joy. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 4 when he says to rejoice in the Lord. He's recognizing that, that our joy comes not from circumstance or other persons. It comes from God. That that's where our joy, that's where our joy is placed. C.H. Spurgeon says it this way, The joy of the Lord, it springs from God and has God as its object. Joy comes from God and our object of joy is God. Can you say that this morning? Disciple, do you know him? Do you believe in him? Do you love him? A, a, a disciple, as a disciple, we, we enjoy all that Jesus is and has done for us because of who he is, right? L- listen, because of who Jesus is and what he has done, this is what it, what it makes you. It makes you a child of God. It, it makes you forgiven. It makes you rescued, restored, loved, cherished, declared righteous, one who is becoming more like Jesus, one who, who, has, who has never forgotten, one who is never alone because of the Spirit, the one who is an heir with Christ and a friend of God, the one who is adopted into the family, given an inheritance and victorious over sin. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be part of God's family. So, so when we know who God is, right, we know him through faith. Do we believe him? Do we love him? Enjoying him involves all of those things. And we can say with Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Do you know him that way? Do you know him that way? Do you enjoy him that way? Do you see him as a good God? Or, or do you see him as, as a cosmic killjoy? Do you see God as keeping you from what you really want? Or do you see him as the one in whom all of your joy is found? You see, a a disciple knows Jesus. If you are a disciple, the first step is to know Jesus. But additionally, it means following Jesus. Following Jesus how? By obeying his commands by grace. By obeying his commands by grace. And this simply means this. When we talk about following him, it means this, to do what he did. When we talk about following Jesus, um, hear these words from John, again in 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. (laughs) That's Jesus, right? If we say that we're in him, then the evidence is that we're actually doing what he did. Being a disciple not only means that you know God, it means that you follow God. 
Now, if I were to say to my children, um, let's play a game, let's play follow the leader, right? Which I don't play that game. But if I were to play that game, I would say to my children, let's all line up in a line, and we're going to walk quietly outside and stand, right? If I were to say, let, let, let's do that. Everybody get in line, and they say, okay, we'll play. And so I say, everyone get in line, and let's walk. And I go outside, and my kids don't go outside, right? Imagine, imagine a children not obeying a parent, right? So they, they're inside, and I say, you said you were going to follow me, but you did not follow me, right? This is brilliant stuff right now. You're, you're, I know, there's steam is coming out. So the point is, is, is what? The point is this, is that we hear words like become a follower of Jesus, and we say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus in the sense that I'm a Christian, but actually following Jesus means, hold on, it means you follow Jesus. You do what he did. Yeah, that, that sounds so obvious, and yet the truth is it's not obvious. You and I both know, and some of us can look at the other person, or we're thinking about someone who says they're a Christian, but they don't act like a Christian. To guard yourself from doing that, let's just keep our, ourselves on ourselves today, Okay? Instead of thinking of that neighbor who might, or the person at work who might, no, no, no. Let's think about ourselves here, right? We call ourselves a follower. Some evaluation would be, do we actually do what God did? Do we actually follow Jesus? It is more than reading our Bible. It is more than prayer. It is more than church attendance. Those things are not the end of, of following God. They're the beginning But how do we follow God? Well, first, we follow God by obeying his commands by grace. Again, John chapter 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll obey. If you're my disciple and you know me and love me, following me means that you obey me. Just as believing on God for salvation is made possible, by God's grace, so too is your obedience. You cannot obey on your own. The Apostle Paul is clear about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he says, by grace I am what I am. You know, I, I tried harder than any of those other apostles, but then I found out, you know what, even in my trying, it was God's grace that was helping me do it. So in order for us to obey his commands, to actually do what he's told us to do, we need God's grace for that. We give evidence that we are his disciple by our obedience. Your obedience is a fruit of knowing God, not a work of getting God. Let me say that again. Your obedience is a fruit of knowing God, not a work of getting God. Meaning, by my obedience, I don't get more God. I don't get more of God's pleasure or more of God's approval. No, no, no. Our, our approval from God comes through Jesus. And that is already done. It's completed. It is finished. You don't have to do anything else other than to believe in him by faith in order to have the approval of God. Our obedience then is actually a response to him. It's a response to his goodness. It's seeing his commands not as these dutiful rules that I have to follow, but this way of life that brings life. 
We obey his commands. We show that we're following God by loving others as we have been loved. John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. A new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also to love one another. But this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the ways we prove that we follow God is actually by loving other people. Imagine that. You show your love for God by loving other people. John, in, in his epistle, 1 John, says that you can't love God and hate your brother. You know what that makes you? makes you a liar. You can't do it. That's not, that's not true love for God. True love for God means that we love other people. And the only way that we could ever love other people is in the verse previous to 1 John 4.20, is 1 John 4.19, which tells us this, that we love because he first loved us. So we are called to, to love others as we have been loved which means the only way you could ever love, the only way you could ever fulfill what God is calling you to do is because God has loved you first. You're, not, you're just, not, just a nice person. You know, some people say, well, that, that person is just very loving. Well, that's nice of them, but this kind of love is not something that you just have a good disposition. That's not the kind of love we're talking about. We're talking about a love that is self-sacrificial, a love that is unconditional, it's not based on what you do to me. It originates in the will, and it only happens because God has loved us first. The word for that is the agape love. Loving others with God's love is evidence that we have been loved. It's evidence that you are a disciple. That's what, exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. I want to give evidence that you actually are his follower, his adherent, love other people. Thirdly, following Jesus means bringing others to Jesus. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28 is a well-known passage for many. It is called, often called the Great Commission passage where we see Jesus' last words to his disciples. And here it shows us um, what Jesus has to say to his disciples and how his disciples who, who know him and love him and are going to follow him, uh, how they respond, how they are to respond to, to that. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a lot there, but the imperative is found in verse 19, and that is to make disciples. Part of how we follow Part of how we follow Jesus is that we bring others to Jesus. 
we bring others to Jesus, we make disciples. One church says it this way, we are disciples of Jesus who take responsibility for our growth in the gospel and the growth of others. Disciples making disciples. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You're a disciple, now go make a disciple. And what is the, what is the implication to that disciple? That they are to make a disciple. And on and on it goes. The church makes disciples. That's the express purpose of what we are doing. This is not just an institutional responsibility as far as a programmatic thing. It's not just that we make a program of, to make a disciple program. That's not all that, that we're talking about. We're actually saying that this is a, a personal responsibility. That you individually are called to make disciples. Not, not just, just bring them here. That's good but to honestly and lovingly build into the lives of other people. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul talks to Timothy and tells him that the things that, that have been entrusted to you, commit these to, to other men, that they'll teach other men. This passing it down, this, this mentoring, this next generational type of ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, tells us that, that he gave some... Uh, to be apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body. And God's plan is that people will come to know Jesus and be built up in him. And this is seen throughout the Bible. This is not just Jesus saying this here and we don't see it anywhere else. We see it in the Bible. We see it even before Jesus says this. We actually see it in the passage that we referenced earlier in John chapter 1. When Jesus is calling his disciples, we actually see his disciples already acting as a disciple. In John chapter 1, verses 43 and 46, says this, And the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida and the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. This is the beginning of discipleship right here. I found him. I found Jesus. Come see him. Jesus found Philip, and Philip goes out and says, Hey, he's here. This is the beginning of what it looks like to make a disciple. It's to, to take the message that Jesus is here and tell other people. Later on in the book of John, we see Andrew. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And these came to Philip, who was also from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. They are bringing people to Jesus. John chapter 4. If you're doing your scripture reading with us through the, uh, the daily devotion, we are in John chapter 4 right now. And tomorrow you'll get to the rest of this story of the woman at the well. And what happens to the woman at the well is that Jesus comes and he, he, he talks to her and he tells her about the, the everlasting or living water. And what do we find that she does? She goes out, she tells people, hey, come see this man who told me everything I've ever done. He knows all about me. This is the real thing. Come and see him. In the book of Acts, we see people 
being confronted with the message of the gospel and going out and telling people. It is the response. Making disciples is the natural response to becoming a disciple. Hear that? Making disciples is the natural response of becoming a disciple. It is evidence that you've actually become a real disciple of Jesus. You know, there's things in your life that you get excited about and you want to tell other people about. We all have them, right? We all have maybe our, that, that thing that's really maybe kind of turning us on, thing that's changing our life this month, um, wh- whatever the thing is. And, and we go out and, and we spread that news like it's life-changing news because it's exciting to us. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But the point is, is that, that most of us know how to evangelize. Most of us know how to spread a message. Because for many of us, we spread a lot of messages. Things that, that, that we find value in. Things that are, are very important to us. We're not afraid to tell anybody about that stuff. It's the same principle, only to, to an eternal degree. Making a disciple is bringing others to Jesus. Well, how do we do that? How are disciples actually made? They're actually made through relationships. That's how they're made. Disciples don't just magically happen. They happen when when someone actually cares about someone else and spends time with them. Actually sits with them and and prays with them and answers their questions. Is not afraid of their questions. That's how making a disciple happens. It's called incarnational ministry. Jesus just didn't sit in heaven and say, you know, just be my disciples. No, he came and showed us what it looked like to live and to follow God. Disciples are made and developed in community, in a place where we can practice what the Bible is actually telling us to do together. These can be called the one another commands in the Bible. It's one of the values of gathering together on a Sunday or in a class, or in a life group. You get to to know people. You get to grow with people. It's one of the express purposes of these kind of groups, is that we get to know each other and grow with each other. That's value. If you want to make a disciple, that's how you do it. If you want to become a disciple, that's how you do it. How else do we make disciples? How else are they developed? They're developed on mission, where we can learn how to proclaim the gospel, how to make disciples. We do it as we're doing it. We're, we're making disciples as we're actually out there sharing Christ with people, loving people as we have been loved. See, discipleship is proven effective when a disciple begins making disciples. Maybe you have a friend and you're wanting them to get to know Jesus more. One of the evidences of the, that they actually do know Jesus and are following Jesus is that they are looking for someone else to tell about Jesus. The truth is that that we all have a next step. See, that's what discipleship is. It's learning. It's growing. Continual growth. Everyone has a next step. So friends of mine uh, have a church, and they they use this um, image to help their church understand that everyone has a next step. And this is their categories, not suggesting that it should be everybody's categories, but the first step they, they suggest is that we explore faith. That's the starting point. And then you go to baptism. After you've trusted Christ, you make that public. You tell other people about it. You begin to know more about who God is. Core theology, basics, 
core skills, how does that work itself out? How do I actually live like a Christian? We start to serve. Now now that I know who this God is, now I know what this kind of looks like in life, now I'm going to start to love other people this way. Join a church, maybe that should come earlier. Multiplication. Then we begin to tell other people. And then what? You may say, well, that's the top of the staircase. So I've, I've already got there. I'm all done. Top of the staircase. No, you're not. Here you go. You're going back down, and you're going with someone else. You're bringing someone else through it. So we can say everybody has a next step. You may say, I've been a Christian for 40 years. Okay, great. Good for you. Now, who are you bringing through the process that you went through? How are you helping someone else grow? How are you helping someone else go public with their faith? Or understand the core doctrines of the Bible? Or understand how Christian life is supposed to be lived? How do people understand that? There was a day where, where people were, were raised in a quote-unquote Christian society, and they had these quote-unquote morals, that they had Christian ideas in their head. Friend, th- that's not the culture we live in. So what does that mean? That means that we can't assume things. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have assumed it before. We can't assume things. We need to be very explicit about what it means to follow Jesus. Because there are a lot of voices saying a lot of things about what it looks like to follow Jesus that are not true. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. But there is a problem, right? And you know the problem. The problem is that even if you know what you're supposed to do, you struggle to do it. Most of us struggle greatly to do it. We may know what we're even called to do, but we don't always do it. After all, Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Renounce all. Renounce all to be his disciple. Here's the reality, friend. And most of us already know this, but we fail. We fail a lot. You read your Bible. If you've read your, if you've read your Bible, hopefully you got that picture. <laughs> the Bible is full of failures. It's not full of superheroes. It's full of failures. People who mess up in massive, massive ways, from Abraham to David, from, from Peter to, to Thomas. You know what? If, if we were alive at that time, you and I probably would get some, some press in that book, too. See, we, we renounce all, and then we return back to our old ways. We profess, like, Peter, I'll never deny you. And then, hours later, we're denying him. We get on the altar and say we're sacrificing all, and then we climb back off the altar. We give to God, and then we try to take back. You see, there's the tension here. It's the tension that every one of us face, is that we are, at any given time, simultaneously sinner and saint, faithless and faithful, rebel and lover, in unbelief and in belief. That's true. If you don't know that about yourself, you're you're not identifying very clearly what's going on in your heart. There's a war. There's a war that, that we are fighting. In the end, the problem is ourselves. We struggle to be the disciple we're called to be, to follow God, because we think, here's what we think, we think that life is better outside of God's rule. That's what the sinner thinks. That's what the old man thinks. 
That's the lie. The lie is there is something better out there. It's the prodigal son. It's better out there. We believe that lie. We believe that lie. We are a selfish, self-centered people who want what we want. James chapter 4 tells us about this. Why are there quarrels? Why are there fights? Why are there wars among you? Why? Because there's passions inside us that are, are rising up, and then we want what we want. If we don't get it, we'll fight for it. We'll even be willing to kill for it. It's a crazy passage. It's scary, but it's, it, it explains why. Why it is that we get so worked up. Why it is that we fight so hard against things. Why? Because there's something that we want that we're not getting. That's idolatry. We're prone to believe that life is about me, and I need what I need, and I'll take care of me. I exist for myself. And friend, that is a cancer to the Christian, to the disciple, to the professing disciple. It is deadly to you and me and to the community of God's people. Life is not about you. I'm glad you came. Life is about Jesus. It's about Christ crucified, dead, buried, and risen. Your life is not for you. It is for him. And once you know that, then your identity can be formed. The identity of a gospel, a disciple emerges from the gospel truth. What he has done for you, who he is, colors who you are. It informs who you are. What is that? That your life is to be lived as a spiritual act of worship for the express purpose of making him known and making disciples. Can we just admit this morning that the struggle, that, that, that's, that's actually true for us, it's real? Can we own that this morning? You may know what you want to be, what God's called you to be, but <clears throat> you know that you're not living up to it, right? Everybody knows that, right? <laughs> Nobody's living up to it. On your best day, you're still nowhere close, right? So no one's pretending right now, right? We all know that we're, we're, uh, we're idiots, right? We're, we're absolute failures in, in so many ways. In perfection, I mean. Do, do, does God give us grace to follow him at times? Yes. But the truth is, if we, if we built, put all of our good works on one side and all of our failures on the other side, you don't want that scale. And neither do I. And that's not to make us feel bad. It's rather to tell us that we are bad. But here's the good news. There's hope. There's deliverance for the struggling disciple. In Mark chapter 9, there's this great story. Some of you know this story. There's a, a, a boy who has an unclean spirit, demon-possessed. And they're struggling to cast out the demon, the disciples. And so the father says to Jesus, if you can, will you heal my son? And Jesus' response is, if I can. All things are possible to him who believes. What's the response of the father? Oh, I'm a terrible person. I just, I need more faith in my life. I'll try again when I have more faith. I'll go get more faith. No, he says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. What's he saying? He's saying, simultaneously, Jesus, I'm believing you, but I've got to be honest. There's this part of me that is not sure. <laughs> help me. Help me. If you think the Christian life is about getting to the, this uh, position of perfection where you don't doubt anymore, <laughs> sorry to bust the, the bubble for you. We can grow in our faith. That's absolutely true. But as humans, 
none of us are perfect. But what does Jesus say to this man? Not enough faith, buddy. I won't answer your prayer because you don't have enough faith. No. Jesus does. He heals, he heals the boy. Now, what's the point? The point isn't that if you believe hard enough that God's going to heal you or heal someone. That's not the point. The point Jesus is making here is that he can do anything. That's the first thing. There's no, there's no issue of if he can. He can. Issue of if he would. It's his will. But it also reveals to us this tension that exists between belief and unbelief. And our rebellion and our hope. Our hope is in the perfect disciple. <laughs> That's where your hope is this morning. Not in your perfect discipleship. In his. Luke chapter 2 verse 52 tells us about Jesus. And it tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. He was a disciple. He grew up. Now, he's fully God, but he was fully man. And so we look to him as our perfect disciple, the one who followed God perfectly, who kept all of God's commands, who loved everyone, and who brought people to Jesus in ways that, to, to God, in ways that you and I could never. So I'm so glad this morning that, that I have more to offer you. <laughs> the scriptures has more to offer you than to say, go be a good, good disciple today. That is not the message today. Do not leave with go be better. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, God did not come to make good people better. He came to make dead people live. Your need isn't to go be better. Your need is life. Life in Jesus. Our hope is not in our best efforts. Our hope is in the finished work of Jesus. And it's his work that enables us then to walk in obedience. How do we do that? Pastor read for us Matthew chapter 16 before we began. And Jesus says three things. And the third one is follow me. But before he says follow me, he says to deny yourself and take up your cross. Following Jesus means that we have to bow. It means that we have to give up on our self-salvation project. We have to give ourselves over to him, to lay down our life and to take up a life of submission. You may say, well, that's not a very good marketing plan. <laughs> no, no one's going to want to do that. Well, no one might want to do that if this is all there is. But this isn't all there is. And Jesus is speaking not for just this life. He's speaking for eternity. And he's saying, you want your life to count? Deny what you're trying to do. Take up your cross and follow me. And in me, you will find life and life eternal. So until we bow, we will seek to be Lord of our own life. We'll be trying to do it on our own. A disciple has come to the point where they've recognized who God is. They know Jesus. They believe on him. They're enjoying him and loving him. They're following him. And the way we do that is through submission. Unless and until you see Jesus king and not yourself, you will not and you cannot be his disciple. Cannot be. Now, some of us here today have, at a point in time, made a profession of faith. We prayed the prayer. We talked to God about our need for Him. But we are overeducated for our obedience. We have attended more than we've worshipped. We've listened more than we've learned. We've heard more than we've done. And the opportunity today before us is to ask ourselves in what ways am I showing that I am actually a disciple? How could someone actually look at my life and see it? What are your next steps today?
Look to Jesus who is the perfect one who enables you to do it. But he does call us to take steps. He does call us to move. He does call us to grow. And we can do that through his grace. Can you say today that you know him? If you don't, maybe today's the day for you. Maybe today, today is that you repent of your sin and you trust in the Savior. You see Jesus as the Savior you so desperately need. He welcomes you through repentance and faith. Maybe some of you admit that you've not followed him the way you know you should, the way he calls you to. There's good news for you. There's grace that's available to you. There's forgiveness, and it's not over. It's not over. God still has a plan for you and can use you. Some of you know God. Some of you are following God. May God continue to give you the grace to continue. Guard us from pride that thinks that we are a better Christian than someone else. May we respond today to God's commands through the grace of Jesus, enabled by his Spirit. God, help us. Lord, the time is short. There's work to be done. There are things to do. There's people who need to know Jesus. I pray that you would help us, that you would help us to not waste not waste our lives, not waste any more time. As we think about what a disciple is and does, I pray that you would help us to, to do some evaluation in our own heart. But ultimately, God, we want to look to Jesus as our hope. Our hope is not in our obedience. Though you call us to obey, that's not our hope. Help us to rest today in the work of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.